How are you all doing? Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. When I first heard, well, actually several months ago when Pastor Tom sent out an email saying to the staff pastors, hey, choose a Sunday for you to preach. When I saw January 1 was available, I jumped at that because I just think it's so much fun uh, to be able to come and give a word, to see God for a word for our body, for our family, uh, for the year. And so I feel like I'm coming with that word, uh, not just, uh, I'm not a great teacher, I'm not, a, I'm not great at exegesis, but I love the Lord and he shares things with us and I just love to be uh, a voice like that. The beginning of the year, I just, I have one confession. Uh, I am highly, highly caffeinated this morning. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> my, my fam, my parents, uh, I just have to tell this story. My parents got me coffee for Christmas, but it's this special, I don't know, it's from like Malaysia or Thailand. It's, it's I don't remember the name, but it's, it's monkey poo coffee. I don't know if you know what this is, but the monkeys actually eat the berries or the cherries. They, they, they defecate them out and they're collected and washed out. And this is supposed to be really good coffee. Well, it is, and I'm highly caffeinated with it. So with that, uh, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. We invite you to come and move. We invite you to speak, God. Holy Spirit, would the words I say be your words? Would my passion be your passion? Would this be your zeal accomplishing the things you want to do? Would I be hidden, Lord, in you? Would you encourage us? Would you breathe fresh fire into our hearts to burn for you today, tomorrow, this year? God, would you give us direction? Would you give us definition? And then would you give us all the resources, all the power, all the authority, all the protection needed to accomplish your purposes this year? Revive us today, God, as your people revive us. In your mighty name, amen. Okay, this message is called Rune Rebuilders. And... Uh, where I want to start is where is something Pastor Andrew shared last week, and that is this whole idea of encountering God, encountering the Holy Spirit for transformation for his purposes. That if we are simply encountering him and not changing, there's, there's something wrong. I, I love the Holy Spirit. I love how he moves in so many ways, sometimes, sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we shake and cry out. Sometimes we laugh uncontrollably. Sometimes we just weep in his presence. All of those things are, are beautiful expressions or manifestations of the Holy Spirit touching our natural body. But if that's all it is, if all it is is we fall down and we get back up and then we go home and we're the same and living the same and thinking the same and doing the same, well then what was that experience? Because 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we do behold his glory with unveiled faces 
And as we behold him, we're transformed into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. This sanctification process is real. So if if we're actually beholding the glory of God, we're going to be changed. But if we're not being changed, something's off, something's wrong. There's a disconnect. And if all that's happening is that we're, okay, so say we make it in and we're in that sanctification transformation process, that's, that's, that's great. But if we don't go into his purposes for our life, then we just kind of go on the shelf. And that's a hard place. To, I've, I've lived in that place. You see, he, he, he loves us. And all this is about relationship, to be with him. But as we're with him, we get his heart. And then we know, oh my gosh, there's several billion people going on the road to hell that I once was on. And, and, I, and I need to do something to call them, to encourage them, to be the salt and light, to bring them into the kingdom of God. Now it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that a heart, that a spirit can be revived and become awakened to who God is and revealed, but he uses us, right? We know this. So why, and, and we, we hear messages on Sundays and, and we believe this and, and we want this, and we go out and we try to be salt and light, but then it, it doesn't always work out well and there's, there's problems, right? We know, we know this, so. But God calls us rebuilders. See, like we look at things through our own eyes and we, and, and we run into opposition and we don't realize who we really are and the authority and power and protection we have. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's jump into Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro- proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This is beautiful. This is Isaiah prophesying. This is in the eighth century. And he's speaking forward about Jesus who is going to come and free the captives and and preach the good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. This is about Jesus, the anointed one, not an individual, even though Jesus became and is an individual. This is about Jesus to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. All of those who were prisoners, brokenhearted, poor, all of us, We will be called oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They, or we, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You see, there is this place of exchange. There is this place of encounter that transforms us, but then puts us into purpose. And it's not a one and done thing. We know that. We know probably every day we need to exchange our ashes 
our mourning, our sorrow, the pain, the things that have happened. We need to exchange them for the things of God, for the things of his kingdom. And, but we get stuck in our mindsets and, and we hold on to our pain. We hold on to our ashes because this is all we have that's left. And God is like, buddy, sweetheart, if you only knew what I have for you, if you only believed how good I am, you would know that ash in your hand is going to become beautiful. I'm going to make something beautiful out of your life, out of your mess. All of this pain that has you in depression and anxiety and shame, you're going to have so much joy. I'm going to make you my oak of righteousness. I'm going to clothe you in beautiful things for my splendor because I want to look upon my work in your life. And I have amazing things to do with you. We are his rebuilders. This is our destiny. This year, uh, just, just position-wise, even though so many things, dreams and promises in our heart, Ashley and I's heart for 15 years have all been starting to come true. It's like, oh my goodness. Mentally, the battle has been very intense. There's been many, many difficult days, weeks, months. And part of that journey I've shared in different times is, has been our, our, our language around revival and what does that mean and coming back to first love and like, and struggling and wrestling with that. And, and, and I love to, I love, it sounds funny, but I love to wrestle with God. Like, God, what is, what is this? Like, what does this mean? Like, is this right? What are you saying? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm hearing. And just, he's so strong. He always wins, but he never hurts me. And I, I love it. I just love wrestling with my dad. Because I get to learn all about him in that wrestling process. But this, to me, or where, where I'm coming to, is this place that revival rebuilds. Revival is not just falling in the presence of God, though that can be a glorious encounter, a beautiful thing. Revival is not just being transformed and made beautiful, but that is awesome. Being whole is great because he binds up our hearts. He's bound up my heart. Am I perfect? No, but he's bound me up over the years and I'm whole. Do I have brokenness in me? Yes, but I'm whole. He's made me whole. But if that's all it was, then I'm just a nice little vase on the shelf in the house. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's my own zeal. I don't, I'm not good with that. I want to be used for a special purpose. And there's a special purpose for each of us as soon as conception happened. I mean, God's outside of time, so to try to really think about this just blows your mind. But at the point of accepting, God knew everything you would do and say, even though we live in free will. He inserts himself in time, but then he's like, yeah, I knew you were gonna do that. And I put all these things in place to help you get there. And he's dreamed specific things for each of you and for me, for us, to do together with him. 
Otherwise, what are we doing? I mean, I love my home. God's given us a beautiful home. I love my kids and family, but if all it is is just to spend time with them and raise them, that's beautiful. Those are all beautiful things. My, my job, this is great. I love to, that I get to speak to you guys, this is my, but this is my job. If this is all it was and is, that carrot of success, that carrot of arriving, that carrot of whatever dream, it's just, it just doesn't do it. We know that that's empty. But the Great Commission, the advancing of the gospel, the kingdom of God, spreading salvations, I need to speed up. I mean, at first I thought two services coming together meant I get to speak for two hours. I was told, no, that's not the case. That's <laughs> for your benefit. So a revival, this is, I believe a, a revival rebuilds. And so what are we rebuilding? Well, what breaks God's heart? What, is, what, what it breaks your heart when you see your family, you see the body of Christ, you see your neighborhood, your city, what has been destroyed? I mean, I, th I, think it's, I think it's pretty, we can pretty quickly identify things in our, in our family, in our li individual lives, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our city. I, I, I think we know the places that have been destroyed, the walls that have been knocked down, the gates that have been burned down. So what do we rebuild? The things that we've seen the enemy destroy. What has the enemy destroyed in your life? Where has, what gates has the enemy burnt down? You know, I, I know where the enemy's gained ground or tried to and done some damage. I know where, where, he's, where, he's, where he attacks me. So where has the enemy knocked down the walls in your life and burned down the gates in your life? I wanna, I wanna move to a parallel story of a young guy, well, I don't know if he's young. Again, I'm not, you can ask Pastor Greg cultural and historical accurate information. I don't have that for you this morning. <laughs> Let me back up for a second. I was having a conversation with my family over Christmas and, and revival came up. My family, my dad's a pastor, Andy, or is a pastor and was a nurse. And my, my brother's a nurse practitioner. So like medical and the whole health in field is like a lot of conversation. And then, I, and then you mix that in with, with church. So that's a lot of our conversation. And we're just talking about different things happening in the medical field and ch things changing and blah, blah, blah. And like we keep going back to the heart of man and that, that that's, that's, that's how culture changes. That's how uh, a people changes, society changes, right? And revival's brought up and one person said, well, we haven't seen revival since the Old Testament, I'm like, wait, wait, talk about Finney, Wesley, and started naming people up. And my mom speaks up and he goes, yeah, uh, uh, this movement and the Jesus people movement. I was like, amen, mom, yes. And, and so we're like, good, good, good. And it's so funny because it just goes along with this message. I was like, we see revival throughout scripture, throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And the story of revival, what is revival? Revival is just God coming and reviving his people's hearts back alive, right? 
It's not something, again, it's not the falling down. It's not the healings. Those, those are all beautiful manifestations of his glory coming and his Holy Spirit moving. Those can be signs and symptoms, but, but revival is the church, the people, us, coming alive and falling in love with our Savior, with our Jesus, him and him alone. Again, there's not a comparison. There's not a close second. It's him for real and no one and nothing else. That's revival. And then that spreads into the streets. That then becomes awakening. And so the example I want to use of revival that parallels rebuilding uh, is the Old Testament. And it's this guy who didn't have this high position. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a cupbearer. He was just a guy going to, going to his job. And let's, let's keep in mind, being a cupbearer, and here's where I have maybe a little cultural historical information. Pastor Greg can correct me if I'm wrong. But a cupbearer's not a great job. Yeah, you're not going to die this meal, king. Like, how many cupbearers, how, how did this position get open that you got to fill being cupbearer? Like, it's not a good job. There's not good longevity. Most likely, every day could be your last day. So this cupbearer hears news that his great city of his people's walls have been destroyed and gates have been burnt down. And he begins to weep. This is Nehemiah. And, he, and his, the news comes to him. It says, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. He heard the news and was devastated and cried out to God. For days he just fasted and prayed, God, what? What are we supposed to do? I can just imagine that's what he's, God, we're in disgrace. Your city, Jerusalem, where your temple, where your presence of God dwelt, the walls, the gates are destroyed. Your people are in exile. My family, my friends, my brothers and sisters are spread out and in captivity. What do, what do we do, God? And it says, he went to serve as cupbearer and King Artaxerxes saw how devastated Nehemiah looked. And was like, what's wrong, buddy? Maybe he didn't call him buddy. And Nehemiah takes a chance, much like Esther, because you're in the presence of the king and you're just the cupbearer and you're about to tell him all this bad news and you're his captive, like you're his cupbearer. You're already. And he takes a chance and he says, King my city that belonged to my people for generations has been destroyed and lays in ruins. Can I please go and, and see something, do something about it? And the king's like, yeah, how much time do you need? What else do you need? Well, can you give me some papers and documents so I can go uh, get the resources, the materials, and so that when I go to Jerusalem, the other rulers and leaders in that area know I'm under your authority. I'm not just doing this on my own. And he's like, yeah. So he sent. And he's like, how much time is this going to take? I don't know. Take all the time you need. So the king sends him on this task, releases him, gives him the time, the resources, the authority, go and rebuild. And he sends military escort. 
he sends protection with him as well. He didn't even ask for it. He got it. And so he heads out. So we already know the things we need to rebuild, where the walls and gates in our life we need to rebuild. Well, how do we do it? Well, Nehemiah is showing us. I think Nehemiah is an example of how we rebuild our walls spiritually, how we rebuild our gates. First of all, he went to the king and presented his case and he got resources, authority, and protection. And the thing is, we're not going as cupbearers to our king. We're going as his children. There's no fear of death going to our king. He wants us to come to him and present our project, which is really his project, if it aligns with his heart. So he gets, he goes to the king, he presents his case. What happens then? He, he, he heads out to Jerusalem. Now, if I was Nehemiah, I would be tempted to be really excited. I got all the resources. I've been given all the time needed. I'm going with the king's authority. And I have this military escort. Let's go. Let's do this. And, but, but Nehemiah doesn't come in with pomp and circumstance. He doesn't come into the city. See his friends and buddies like, let's go. We're going to do this. And this, we're going to rip it. No, he comes in low. And at night, he doesn't tell anyone anything. At night, he goes out and evaluates the destruction. We, need, we do need to take a moment to evaluate what has been destroyed in our life. We know, we feel the pain, we see the pain, we, but we need to evaluate, okay, what, what needs to be done now? How do we rebuild this? And to do that in that quiet place, in that secret place with the Lord. And he will show you, and he will show us and give us a strategy. We do the recon with the Lord, we inspect the damage, and he gives us his plan. Okay, so then he gathered a team. And to kind of fast forward a little bit, he, they began rebuilding. Now, when he spoke to the leaders and spoke to the, his Israelite brothers and sisters, the people of God and the different families, they began rebuilding as teams. This family with this family. If you read chapter three, it's all like this family rebuilt this part of the wall, this family rebuilt this part of the wall, this family partnered with this family and this clan with this clan and they rebuilt this gate and it talks about all the different sections of the wall, all the different gates. I mean, one of the gates is the dung gate. How would you like to rebuild the dung gate? There's not a great location. It just stinks. How would you like that? But the families came together and began rebuilding and from what I understand of how city walls were built in those days was homes were kind of built into the walls, so, right? The city wall was actually one of your walls. You know, it was your, your, the side of your house, basically. And then you built on the inside your other walls and however you built. And so think about your home, one of your walls being destroyed and knocked down. And you're like, I have no protection. Enemy can come right into my home. And so they began to rebuild they began to rebuild in teams, in families, together. This family with this family. This neighbor with this neighbor. They began to rebuild. Now we know if we've lived serving the Lord, if we've been a believer for more than one day, we know that as soon as we take a step in the Lord's direction and towards him and towards his purposes, the enemy is right there. Right? Like it's not like, yeah, this is great. We're just going to rebuild everything. No, the enemy destroyed and does destroy, and comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. And so 
we, we start moving to rebuild and we start the process and enemies like sounds the alarm, attack here, attack there. Let's skip over to chapter four. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? What, will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burnt as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break, break it down. They're walls of stone. See, the enemy first comes with slander, accusation, mocking, intimidation. They're halfway done with the wall now. They're, they're making progress. And, and these guys, uh, Sam Ballot and Tobiah come and they're like, even a, a little fox, if he jumps on that, is going to knock it all down. What a joke. Oh my gosh, you think you're going to bring these stones back to life? This rubble that's just everywhere? What? What, you're going to do it in a day? Who are you guys? Who do you think you are? The imitation, intimidation, the mocking, the accusation, those are all very real things. So if we're able to withstand the slander the mocking, the intimidation, which we grow in. We realize this is how the enemy works and this is some of his strategies. Good, we're, we're growing in that. We're strong in, in that area. The next stage of attack and opposition is actual attacks, actual physical assaults, actual uh, uh, um, threats. In verse 11, also our enemy said, before they know it, is, know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came out and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. This wasn't, this wasn't just uh, threats. This just wasn't accusation. This just wasn't taunting anymore. This was now physical. They're attacking the people rebuilding the wall. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So this opposition happens, the enemy slanders, accuses, and then he steps up his game and actually attacks. But Nehemiah's like, okay, you guys, you guys, the wall's a little lower over here. We're gonna send some guards. You guys have advanced and built your protection and built your walls up a little over here. You guys come over, you help out here. And, and what happens? It says, when our enemies heard that, they, that we we're aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. We all returned to the wall, each to our own work. God brings the strategies of the enemy into the light. We see what the enemy is doing and, and we're like, oh, I see what you're doing and I'm just, I'm gonna stand here and I'm not gonna let you move. I'm not gonna let you take this ground. But then it's, it's, it's not even that, it's that God frustrates the plans of the enemy. 
If we, all the different stories of, of when God opened people's eyes to the Spirit and they could see the angels fighting. You hear the stories of the different, the Philistines and the Ammonites and this battle and this battle and they all became frustrated and began attacking each other. God frustrates the plans of the enemy and foils their plans and the people are like, oh, we didn't have to do anything and they just go right back to work. Okay, wow, God is protecting us. Okay, let's just get back to work. Let's do this. They had to rebuild with one hand and fight with a sword in the other. The enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you rebuilding and to stop us fortifying. Okay, those are things the enemy does. Now there's one other thing, area that Nehemiah shows us or talks about that often, not, not that I can't fall under the enemy's attack or his strategies, but this is, the, this is often the area where I, where I uh, fall prey. And it's not, it's, it's not giving into weariness and discouragement. Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of our laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. We know that it takes work to rebuild the things that the enemy has destroyed. We know that there's areas in our life that have become rubble. And it's like, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's not easy peasy. It takes work. And it's hard and, and we see the amount of work that needs to be done. And if we look with our natural eyes, it becomes very discouraging. It becomes very difficult. And, and, and actually doing the work, you get tired. And that's what I discovered. This year, I just got, I got really tired in many different seasons. I was like, oh, no, I'm good. Oh, no, I'm not. Praise God, I get my first sabbatical starting after prayer and fasting week for two months. Thank you, Jesus. And I get to be home for two months with the birth of our fourth child. Yay, what timing. Strength does give out, but wait on the Lord. You will rise up on wings like an eagle. And this is a good, this is a good verse. If, on the onset, it's not the most encouraging verse, but it is a very, very promising verse. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6.9. We're doing good, we're doing good, we're doing, this is a bad situation, we're doing good here, we're responding well here, we're responding well here, we're trying our best, we're trying to do good, we're trying to do the, the right thing, we're trying, we're trying, and it's not getting better, and I'm tired of it, I'm tired of it not getting better. This is where the enemy gets me. I don't wanna do good anymore. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'll show you how I'm gonna respond. <laughs> No, no, we need to do good and just keep doing good, keep doing good and you will reap a harvest. I have experienced this in my life. We just keep doing good, keep doing the right thing and God rewards me and my family. I've seen it time and again and yet I still don't want to do good. Right? I'm just like, oh, do I have to be good? But when we keep doing good, and have that as a habit and a characteristic and a lifestyle, it just feels so good to do good things. And it actually becomes very easy. It's like, this situation, this person's acting like a monster. I'm just going to do good. That's not always my first response, but that's my second response. <laughs> this situation is ridiculous. But I'm just going to do the right thing. 
and I have peace, and I can sleep at night, and I can enjoy time with my family. Let us not grow weary in doing good, or at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. I want to say, I want to finish saying this. Just reiterate the fact that revival rebuilds, and I feel like the word for our church this year is that God wants us to rebuild the walls that have been destroyed in our lives spiritually. We are in a war. We are in a battle. The enemy has spread us out. We we live in different places in the city. We're, we're spread out, but Nehemiah said, don't worry, you guys. We'll blast the horn, and when you hear the horn, we'll come running, and we'll help you because sp- we're spread out. This wall's so big. But this, this Nehemiah-type revival that I feel like God is, is calling us to and calling the city to rebuilds. It rebuilds. And Nehemiah's revival was citywide. They, they accomplished the rebuilding. They finished the wall. It took them 52 days. All around Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? We can't get building permits in 52 days. Like 52 days. They rebuilt the walls and all the gates and it was beautiful. We need to rebuild in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. We need to rebuild and, and that there be no gaps between the churches in the city. The church in the city. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about ecumenical in a way that it's just anything out there. We're all, we're all just together. No, the people that love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that, that believe in the Bible and the, and the word of God and are not compromising on the essentials. Though, and there's a lots of streams out there. There's lots of churches in the city that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to fill in the gaps. We need to fill in the gaps and build the wall together and be connected. Why? Because when the walls and the gates are established, there's safety, right? Walls protect, gates allow things to come in and out. But what happens within the walls? What's going on inside the city? Life. Life is happening. Inside of Jerusalem, the city of God, life was happening. His spirit dwelt there. The presence of God lived in that city. The presence of God lives in this stone, in these stones. The presence of God wants to live in this city. So these spiritual walls are to allow life to happen, the kingdom of God to flourish and grow beauty. Nehemiah's revival also, if you read all of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's revival confronted injustices and dealt with sin. Nehemiah hears his own people, their own leaders are enslaving and oppressing their brothers and sisters with this tax that's causing them, or this interest tax that's causing them to, to lose their homes and their land and they have no food And Nehemiah's like, what are you doing? You guys are brothers and sisters. What are you doing to each other? He dealt with injustice in the church. He dealt with the sin in the people of God. Out there in the world, they're going to do what they want. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything about that. But he dealt with the church. He dealt with the sin and corruption, the different things going on in his people, in the people of God. So Nehemiah's revival confronts injustice, deals with sin. Nehemiah's revival came back to following God's ways. As soon as the walls were built, as soon as the gates were put in, they began to worship and pray. And then they said, there's this whole, they began reading the word of God again. Nehemiah began to read the word of God. And there's like this vote, this commitment, this vow to we are going to be about God's ways. We're going to return to the scriptures. We're going to return to their truth. So this revival that God wants to bring about goes back to his ways. 
This is the type of revival that God is calling the people of God in Madison to. A revival that rebuilds the walls and gates, that confronts sin and, justice, sin and injustice, and desires to follow God's ways. And we know his ways, not, not by every thought that comes into our mind and our opinions, but that's gone through this. This forms, this forms our, our thoughts. This forms our actions. Right? It's not the other way around. We, our mind does not does not form this. This forms our mind. I just, there's, there's, you can probably tell, there's just so many things I, I want to say that, you know, there's just, it's just so much, right? Like, what if this is really true? What if God actually wants to make this a city on a hill, make Madison a city on the hill, a light to the nation? We hear stories of revival. Oh my goodness, the Welsh revival, the Great Awakenings, what happens in, in Florida, in Toronto. Like God does these things. And again, it's not about the falling down and the laughing and the, the healing. Those are all, yes, awesome. But it's, a, but it's about the kingdom of God advancing. That's why he revives us. He doesn't revive us so we can feel good about ourselves. He revives us so that we are whole and we we know who we are in him and our hearts burn and desire for his purposes. Like otherwise, what do we go back to? I mean, my wife and I are watching 24, re-watching 24 right now. Oh my gosh, we love Jack Bauer. <laughs> well, so what, are we just gonna go back and live vicariously through Jack Bauer? Jack Bauer could rebuild Madison. I mean, he could probably. Or, or are we gonna get whole? Are we going to give them our, our rubble? We all have rubble. This is Nehemiah. This was just a cupbearer. How many cupbearers are out there? But yet, brothers and sisters, family, we are beyond cupbearers. We're his children. How much more can we go to him without fear and trembling? I've only done one funeral of a, of a praise God, it was only one of someone that OD'd. Years back, I can't do that again. How many family members, if they would die right now, will not know the Lord, do not know the Lord and will face eternal judgment, second death? I mean, the stakes are so high. And it's so much easier just to sit at home and watch Jack Bauer do it. It is. It's so much easier to be victims and to be discouraged. I, I'm easily getting into discouragement. I'm, I'm not saying I'm above any of this. We are all in the same boat, but let's get out of this boat. Let's get out of this boat. Let's start rebuilding. One stone at a time, family with family, neighbor with neighbor, let's rebuild this wall. Let's rebuild these gates and let's let the life of God flourish in this city because he wants all to be saved. God, I don't, I don't even know how to, to respond other, other than to say, yes, I want to be on the team. I want to be, I want to be at the dung gate, Lord. That's fine. If it's at the dung gate, put me at the dung gate and let's, let's, let's rebuild that. God, we can't, we can't just hear a message of hype and, and encouragement and excitement. We need your fire to burn away the lies, to burn away the discouragement, to burn away the fear 
So, so we give you our ashes, God. We have ashes that we're holding on to, and we just say they are yours. We want your beauty. We are your oaks, God, that you've wrapped in righteousness, that you have and are producing beautiful fruit in. And Lord, we, 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 we feel timid, we feel a little insecure, but, but we say we want to have a strong mind of power and love. We want to be strong and courageous, but, but we've been beat down, so we give you that. We want to have hope, but our experiences have been marginal, have been up and down. And so we, we don't really know, is this, is this you? Should we do this? Are we gonna be destroyed? And, but you discourage the plans of the enemy. You confuse them and cause the enemy to fall into his own trap. Would this be a year where you revive us in this part of the body, this part of the church in Madison? Would you revive us this week as we come and, and set aside distractions, set aside 24 and set aside this eating out and that meal and that all, all of that stuff? God, for maybe for some of us that have never experienced that fire, and this is like, wow, I, I, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. God, would they, would they encounter your fire for real? Not, not just some hype experience, but for real, that experience that transforms them and changes them and launches them out into the purposes you have. It's, it's insurmountable on our own, God. It's undoable on our own. We can't do it without you. So Lord, we, we, we just say we want to be transformed by your glory for your purposes. We want to be the agents of revival the catalyst with all the other God-fearing churches in this city. Would you unite us for your purpose? Would you unite us and, and unify us in all our differences, in all our different non-essential ways? Would you unite us? And that there would be beautiful expressions, beautiful fragrances of your hand moving in different ways. And would we cheer each other on and God, we just say, when we hear the horn blast from the west side that they're in trouble, we come running. And God, when we're having trouble on this, this side of town, we blast our horn and they come running. Help us, God. We want your life. We want your kingdom to flourish here. In Jesus' name.